Today we're going to begin another two-part series on a new subject in Proverbs. <clears throat> and this is one of the most frequent themes that comes up in the whole book, that being financial management. Uh, how should we as Christians, <clears throat> seeking to be wise followers of the Lord, think about money? And some of this is going to overlap a bit with our uh, study on the subject of laziness in Proverbs. It will be a little bit there, uh, but we're going to go far beyond that to talk about a lot of issues that come up in Proverbs, things like debt, saving, spending, generosity, budgeting, investing, even something like leaving an inheritance. Uh, pretty much every aspect of financial management that you can think of is covered somewhere in Proverbs. And as such, we're going to have to take two weeks to cover this subject. Today, we're going to look at the topic of wealth sort of from a philosophical standpoint, trying to understand how we as Christians ought to think about money, where the pitfalls are to avoid uh, that sort of thing. Then next week, we'll get into the more practical stuff, uh, learning about specific wise and foolish decisions in this area of financial management. I'm going to do something today that I never do. I'm going to share with you my outline for the sermon. In this case, I think it'll be helpful to you uh, to see it on the screen and be able to follow uh, as we go through today. Before we get into the specific practical instructions that Proverbs gives about wise financial management, again, most of that is going to be next week, we need to first talk about wealth in general. How should Christians think about money? Uh, let me start off with a simple question, you might think. Is being wealthy a good thing or a bad thing from a Christian perspective? Now, that's not a simple question to answer. In fact, we're going to spend the rest of the sermon today trying to answer it. If you were just to survey the Bible's teaching about wealth and about riches, it becomes very apparent very quickly that there's no simplistic answer given. Uh, this is how you have the phenomenon today of different Bible teachers saying very different things on the subject of wealth. On the one hand, you have some who promote the idea that riches are a bad thing. It's sinful to be wealthy. If you're rich, there's something wrong with you. Jesus wants you to be poor or at least somewhere in the middle, not to have lots of money. And you can understand how someone might draw such a conclusion. Scripture does, in fact, say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, there's the parable that Jesus taught about the rich fool, a passage we're going to look at later, where it seems to be a bad thing to store up more and more wealth for yourself. God calls such a person foolish. Then there's the passage about the rich young ruler in the Gospels when Jesus tells the rich man to give up all of his wealth and to come follow him. And so some have concluded it's bad to be rich, that to truly follow Jesus means refusing to make too much money. On the other hand, you have some people who promote what's known as the prosperity gospel. Uh, this is the idea that basically a part of being a Christian means that God will bless you financially. And you might think that that sounds absurd at first, but it's not an idea created out of thin air. There are many examples of people in Scripture like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, someone like Job, men who were clearly favored by God and blessed financially. And so it obviously uh, cannot be necessarily wrong to be wealthy, and perhaps it's even a sign of God's blessing on your life. And so, how ought we to think about wealth? Again, as I said, there's not a simplistic answer presented in Scripture. There are nuances and caveats that must be made in order to answer this question. 
Let's consider a few Proverbs that will help clarify this. Chapter 10, verses 2 through 5 say, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Okay, so clearly there are ways of acquiring wealth that are wrong. Some rich people are rich because they've gained their treasures through wickedness. But then, verse 3, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So here it seems that poverty is a sign of sin, that God doesn't let righteous people go hungry. So wealth can be gained by wickedness. Poverty is a sign of unrighteousness. So maybe we're all supposed to be somewhere in between. If we're right with God, we'll have our needs met, but we won't have too much money. But then verse 4 comes, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So here again, the idea that poverty is often caused by sin or laziness, and that diligence and hard work leads to riches. So you see, just in these three verses, a nuanced view of wealth. Some are wealthy because of their hard work. Others are wealthy because of sin. They've acquired their wealth through wickedness. And then verse 5 says, He who gathers in sun uh, in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So clearly, working hard and gathering, acquiring wealth through diligent work is a sign of wisdom. Laziness that leads to poverty is a shameful way of life. Now, this nuanced view of wealth, again, is repeated often in Proverbs. For example, chapter 11 of Proverbs, verse 16 says that a gracious woman gets honor and a violent man gets riches. So some people get rich through violence, but then, verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. So clearly, Proverbs acknowledges that some earn their wealth dishonestly. Riches can be gained either as a blessing from God, he doesn't let the righteous go hungry, It can be a sign of diligent work that has paid off in the long run, or it can be the result of wickedness, dishonest business dealings, even violence. Chapter 13 of Proverbs adds another layer to this subject. Verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And this is something we've seen already, that wealth is often the result of hard work and God's blessing and poverty often is a result of laziness. The sluggard craves, but he gets nothing because of his laziness. But then notice verse 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So Proverbs acknowledges that sometimes people are poor and it isn't their fault. Yes, sometimes it's the result of laziness, sluggardish uh, mindset, but In some cases, they work hard and they are kept poor by oppressive people who take advantage of them. Think of all the nations of the world even today, uh, where lower class people in the population are not allowed to own property. There's no free market trade. Everything is controlled by a very small group of very wealthy people at the top who make up the government. In such a situation, someone may be poor and it's not their fault at all. It is through injustice that they are being kept impoverished. So then Proverbs presents four groups of people. There are the unrighteous poor, those who are poor because of their laziness. There are also righteous poor, those who are poor because of injustice or oppression. It's not their fault. They're working hard. They're trying, and yet there's just nowhere for them to move up. 
Thirdly, there is the unrighteous rich, those who acquire wealth through sin, through wickedness, through violence, through deceptive business practices. And finally, there is the righteous rich, those who acquire their wealth through diligent work and God's blessing on their lives. So you see, it's not as simple as saying that if someone is wealthy or if someone is poor, it is necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. The answer has to be, it depends. Riches are not inherently good or bad. It depends on how you acquire them, what you think about them, and what you do with them. There are examples of godly people in Scripture who were very poor. Jesus would be one example. There are also examples of people in Scripture who were godly and righteous and had great wealth. Again, Abraham, Job, if you want to look at the New Testament, someone like Paul was a man of means. Uh, He worked hard at his trade, and he used his money to fund the church planting that he was doing all across Asia Minor. There were rich people mentioned in Luke's gospel. They were commended for funding the ministry of Jesus as he traveled around and taught. So obviously, you can have money, actually be quite wealthy, and be righteous, living in a way that glorifies the Lord. What it comes down to, again, is those three criteria. These are the three things that determine whether wealth is a good thing or a bad thing in your life. First of all, how are you acquiring it? Secondly, what do you think about it? And thirdly, what are you doing with it? And we're going to take those one at a time. First, how should we acquire our money? Proverbs teaches as we've already seen, that there are righteous and unrighteous ways of acquiring wealth. And so the first criteria to consider is the proper way to earn money. The first point that Proverbs emphasizes is to earn your wealth through diligent work. This is uh, the most repeated theme throughout Proverbs on this subject. Uh, not going to look at too many texts on this because we covered it a few weeks ago when we, when we talked about uh, diligence and laziness. But Proverbs 14, verse 23, for example, says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. So here you see a very simple concept taught throughout the book of Proverbs. Laziness and inactivity leads to poverty. Diligent or hard work leads to prosperity. This is the consistent and repeated theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Hard work leads to wealth in the vast majority of cases. Again, there are exceptions. Proverbs acknowledges that sometimes through injustice, hardworking people are kept poor, but in most cases, that doesn't work out that way. In most situations, diligent work leads to prosperity. Notice also there in verse 24 that it is said that wealth is the crown of the wise. So not only do you need a good work ethic to earn money, you also need wisdom. We need to learn to make wise financial decisions, and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about next week, kind of the nuts and bolts of what that looks like. But just to state the the big idea here, Proverbs teaches that righteous wealth is a byproduct of hard work and wisdom. If you work hard at your job and you make consistently wise financial decisions, that is the way that righteous people acquire their wealth. Now, once money is being acquired, then we have to ask more questions like, how are you thinking about it? What are you doing with it? We'll get to that in a minute. But on the question of how to properly acquire wealth, it's not a mystery and it isn't complicated. You work hard, 
You make wise choices. And over a long period of time of doing that, you will very likely acquire wealth. Just as wisdom often leads to wealth, rejecting the wisdom that Proverbs offers us on this subject of financial management is a sure way to end up in poverty. Proverbs 13 verse 18 says, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. Now each of us should really stop and consider that verse carefully. Riches are a byproduct of wisdom and hard work, and ignoring wisdom, ignoring instruction, leads to poverty and disgrace. In other words, some of us will remain poor our whole lives because we simply will not listen to the wisdom that Proverbs is trying to give us on this subject. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get very practical with how this book teaches us to handle money, and the choice is up to you whether you will listen or ignore that instruction. Uh, one little sub-point I want to make before moving on here. If riches are a byproduct of wisdom, then it follows that wisdom is the more valuable of the two, meaning it would be wise for us to be pursuing wisdom if we want to acquire wealth in a God-honoring way. And this is exactly what we find in Proverbs 8. Look at verses 10 and following. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver. This is wisdom speaking in Proverbs 8. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So wisdom is far more valuable than wealth. We should be seeking wisdom, not seeking wealth. Wealth comes as a byproduct of following the path of wisdom, including everything that Proverbs says about hard work, wise decisions, planning ahead, all of that. As a result of a series of wise choices being made in your life, wealth becomes a byproduct. Uh, verse 18, wisdom goes on to say to us, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. So we are to pursue wisdom. We are to value wisdom as uh, more, more precious to us than wealth. And yet it says that wisdom, if we're seeking after wisdom, if we're applying the principles taught to us in Proverbs, it yields riches. Riches with honor, not riches without honor. Wisdom yields durable riches rather than fleeting riches. It's enduring wealth. And wisdom yields riches with righteousness, not gained by sinful means. So how should we acquire wealth? Very simply, through hard work and wise choices. We've talked about the hard work side of that in the past. Again, next week we'll get into more of what wise financial management looks like. Today, we're looking more foundationally, next week more at the practical steps we can take. Uh, one more thing to say about acquiring wealth. Proverbs acknowledges that sometimes you may have to choose between wealth and integrity, and it tells us always in those situations to choose integrity. Proverbs 28, verse 6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So while it is true that wealth usually comes to those who work hard and make wise decisions, that isn't always the case. And Proverbs says it's better to be a poor man with integrity than a rich person who has gained his wealth through dishonesty. Proverbs 15, verse 6, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. We are to reject sinful ways of acquiring wealth, no matter how tempting they may be at times. Work hard and live in God's blessing. 
That is wealth earned and enjoyed to the fullest without the plagues of a guilty conscience or the punishment that comes through corrupt financial dealings. Uh, We mentioned a few weeks back that Proverbs speaks against things like moving the ancient uh, property markers or manipulating weights and scales. These are all a dishonest means of acquiring money that are to be rejected by the wise and God-fearing person. So that's how we are to acquire wealth, through hard work, through wise financial management, not through dishonest means. Again, we'll get into more of the financial management side next week. Next, how are we to think about money? Proverbs 28, verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So there seems to be a couple of things to pay attention to in this proverb. First, there's an indication of time. Uh, One man is being faithful over a long period of time, and he's blessed as a result. The other is seeking to become rich quickly. He hastens to be rich. Secondly, notice that a faithful man uh, is contrasted to someone who is desiring riches. So there's a difference in motivation implied here as well. One is seeking wisdom, one is seeking to be faithful, and he is acquiring wealth as a byproduct of his hard work and faithfulness. He is blessed as a result, the implication being financial blessing. Whereas the other person is trying to be rich, his motivation is the acquisition of wealth, and he is punished as a result. So we learn from Proverbs like this that we shouldn't necessarily be seeking to be rich. Rather, we should be seeking to be faithful and wise, because money is a tool, not an end in itself. And that's the main point we're going to get into more uh, the remainder of our time this morning. We ought to think of money as a tool. We aren't trying to just get more and more money. That's not the point of money. It is a tool that we ought to acquire in order to use wisely, not just to have it or to use it selfishly or foolishly. It's foolish to acquire a bunch of tools and never use them. It's also foolish to acquire tools and then use them for purposes they're not intended for, trying to use a screwdriver to hammer a nail or something like that. Wisdom in financial management is acquiring this tool of money and using it for its proper uses. We should be seeking to use our money in God-glorifying ways. So think of money as a tool, something that can be used either in good ways or in bad ways. But it should never be thought of as the end goal in and of itself. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. So the goal of your life, in other words, should not be the acquisition of more and more wealth. If you focus your life on just getting more money, that pursuit will drive you nuts and never satisfy you. In fact, it will consume you. Rather, we are to toil, we are to work hard and earn money in order to use it wisely. And so the question should be, how do we, how, uh, sorry, how to wisely use the tool of money to best achieve your goals in life? More on that later. We ought to consider money a tool to be used in service to Christ. And where we get into real trouble with wealth is that it so often can go from being a useful tool to being an idol. Proverbs 11, verse 28, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 
Trust God, not your money. It's so easy for money to take the place of God in our lives. Instead of serving the Lord with our money with our lives, we end up in the pursuit of money with our lives. Instead of depending on the Lord, trusting in Him, we find our safety and security in our wealth. Instead of properly prioritizing God, putting Him first in our lives, we end up prioritizing money. All of these are ways that money becomes an idol. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. We've talked about these verses before, but the idea of a strong tower is a fortified place within a city. Uh, When an enemy army is attacking, you run to the tower. It's the fortress, the place of security and ultimate trust. You knew you were going to be okay as long as you could get behind those walls within that fortress. And this proverb tells us that, for the righteous, the name of the Lord is our strong tower. The righteous man runs to the Lord for his safety, for his peace in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. The righteous trusts ultimately in the Lord. A rich man often views his money as his source of security. In his imagination, his money will protect him. As long as he has his wealth, everything is going to be okay. And that's why if he ever loses it all, his life loses its purpose because money was his God. This is why Jesus tells the rich young ruler, give up your wealth and become a disciple because he knew that if he was not willing to make that sacrifice, it was because money was his God. He might have been a decent moral person, but he had an idol and he could not enter the kingdom until he was willing to let go of it. So as you work hard, as you work diligently, as you earn wealth, don't buy into the lie of self-sufficiency, that you no longer need God. Don't trust in your wealth and find your fulfillment in acquiring more and more. Don't let money take God's place in your heart. Proverbs teaches us next that there is more to life than money. Money is a tool, it is not an end in itself, and you are a fool if you think money should be the top priority in your life. Here are nine things that I found in Proverbs that are said to be more important than money, and I'll just give these to you rapid fire. Number one, wisdom is more important than money. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Secondly, a right standing with God is more important than money. Proverbs 15, 16, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Number three, love amongst family is more important than money. Verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Number four, peace in the home is more important than money. Proverbs 17, 1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Number five, righteousness is more important than money. Proverbs 16, 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Number six, humility is more important than money. Proverbs 16, 19, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Number seven, integrity is more important than money. Proverbs 19.1, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. 
Number eight, honesty is more important than money. Verse 22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. And then number nine, a good reputation is more important than money. Proverbs 22, 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So don't let the pursuit of wealth become the main goal of your life. There is way more to life than money. Lastly, on the subject of how we ought to think about money, resist the love of money at all costs. This is kind of along the same lines as not letting money become an idol in your life. Scripture does indeed tell us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It was love of money that led Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. We're told in John's gospel that Judas used to steal from the money bag. He was the treasurer for the group and he was a thief. When Mary poured out the expensive ointment on Jesus' feet, an act of sacrificial worship to Christ, you remember it was Judas who complained. He said it was such a waste to use this expensive ointment on Jesus. It could have been sold for so much money. Using it in worship to Christ was a waste to him because he loved money more than Christ. And when you read Matthew's account of that story, after Jesus rebukes Judas for his uh, comment, it was then that Judas went to the chief priests and asks them, what will you give me if I deliver to you Jesus? And they settled on 30 pieces of silver. And the text says, from that moment on, Judas sought an opportunity to betray Christ. There is no telling how far love of money will take you. It is the root of all kinds of evil, and you must fight against it. Proverbs 15, verse 27, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Fight against greed. Again, this is an, uh, an area where the prosperity gospel comes up, this notion that you should basically become a Christian, you should go to church, you should pray in order to get God's blessing of financial prosperity in your life. You'll hear this a lot from uh, tele-evangelists and things like that. All of that is encouraging you to focus on wealth instead of God. It's fostering greed in your heart under the facade of spirituality. The prosperity gospel is false not because it overpromises, but because it in fact promises too little. It promises health, wealth, and pleasure in this fleeting life. It is ultimately short-sighted, shallow, and unsatisfying, because there's more to life than money. The true gospel promises entrance into Christ's kingdom, an abundant and purposeful life, a relationship with your Creator. Jesus promises to free you from slavery to sin and enable you to live the life that you were made for, one of holiness, love, and sacrifice. The true gospel is that Christ lived and died to redeem the whole creation from the curse of the fall, including redeeming you. That's good news, and it's so much better and more satisfying than a bag of cash and a new car. Don't trade the treasure that Christ offers you for mere earthly trinkets, temporary pleasures that are fleeting and unsatisfying, that dissipate the moment you breathe your last breath. At all costs, fight against the love of money. We are to love God. We are to love others. We are to love our family. We are to love our church. 
We are to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And money is a tool that can be useful in all of those efforts. You can provide for your family as an act of love. You can give generously. You can use money to help others. It's a means of loving them. But don't fall in love with the money. Recognize that it is a tool. Psalm 62 verse 10 says, Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Now, how do we do this? That's easier said than done, right? How do you earn money through hard work and diligence? You're acquiring wealth uh, through wisdom, through wise financial decisions, all of which is commended in Proverbs as a good thing. How do you do that while avoiding letting your heart become set on the money, falling in love with the money itself? And this leads to the last section of the sermon. We've talked about how we are to acquire money through hard work and wisdom, We've considered how we are to think about money. It's a tool. It's not the end goal of my life. We are to resist the love of money or letting money in any way take God's rightful place in our hearts. Now we move on to what we are to do with our money. And I think the key to avoiding what we just talked about is this section. If you don't want to love money or have money become an idol in your heart, make sure you're doing these things. Another way to think of this is, if money is a tool, as we've said, what are the proper uses of it? And very simply, we're going to cover two. We're going to get into more uh, specifics on this next week. But first, providing your own living. Obviously, we all need food. We all need a place to live. We all need the basic needs of life. And you are to work and earn money, first of all, to provide for yourself. Proverbs 28, verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Again, chapter 13, verse 4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Uh, Again, we talked about this a lot when we went into the laziness uh, topic in Proverbs, but we are instructed to earn our own living. Don't mooch off of others. Don't live off of the government. Get a job. Work to provide for yourself, and don't be a burden on others. That ought to be, in the vast majority of cases, Uh, the way that Christians live. Again, there are obvious exceptions, uh, things like health requirements and so forth. But this is the first thing that money is to be used for, is providing your own living. Next, Proverbs teaches us to give generously. And this is, again, how money can be used as a tool in support of loving God and loving others. And that's kind of the two phases we're going to look at, giving to the Lord and giving to others, giving to the poor in particular. First, let's consider what Proverbs says about prioritizing the Lord with our money. Proverbs 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Put God first in your finances. Prioritize the kingdom of God in your life, including what you do with money. Now, you notice I'm not telling you how much to give. I can't tell you that, and it's going to be different for everyone. We're told in the New Testament to give sacrificially, to give cheerfully, to give in proportion with how God has blessed us. God talks a lot about what we are to do with our money. In fact, excuse me, I read this week that the Bible says more about money than prayer and faith combined. More total verses. I didn't verify that. Feel free to fact check. Uh, But certainly, anyone who has read the Bible, you see that God talks a lot about how we are to handle our money. 
And so considering that, you might think, God really seems to want my money. And the answer is no, he wants your heart. God knows us enough to know that our hearts and our wallets are incredibly closely connected, far more than we probably realize. It was Jesus who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our money goes, our hearts follow. The things that we've invested money into, we end up caring about. And the inverse is true also. Where our heart goes, our money tends to follow. We're willing to spend money on things that we care about. Really, all of us, our priorities can be ascertained by looking at our financial records. And so the Bible tells us to prioritize the Lord, prioritize his kingdom. This is one of the ways that we fight against money becoming an idol in our lives. It's one of the ways we resist the love of money by parting with some of our wealth. Generosity is the cure to loving money. We are all tempted to think, we'll be generous soon. Just a little bit more. As soon as I get this paid off, as soon as I get that raise, as soon as this thing works out in my life, then I'll start being generous. And, and Proverbs tells us to start giving now, to honor the Lord with your wealth, maybe in small ways for a time. Again, not everybody can afford to give as much as someone else. That's obvious. But don't put it off altogether. A farmer once told his pastor that one of his cows had unexpectedly given birth to two calves. They were only expecting one, and so the twins kind of surprised them. So he told the pastor that when he sold the two calves, he would give the proceeds from one of them entirely to the church. A few weeks later, the farmer came to his pastor and said, I'm sorry to say it, pastor, but the Lord's calf died. And for many of us, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. We wait to see if we have money to do everything that we want, and then we give to God only when there is some left over after all of our priorities have been met. Proverbs says, honor the Lord first with the first fruits of your income. Set God as the priority in your giving. Lastly, what we are to do with our money, to fight against the love of money, the idolatry that we can all so easily fall into, is give generously to others. Proverbs 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So you see, even in this verse, there's a connection between what we do with our money, our giving or our stinginess, and God's blessing. There is one who gives and is generous, and he grows richer as a result. And there's another who withholds what he should give and ends up suffering and being in want. So we are encouraged to be generous, not just in prioritizing the kingdom of God and giving to the Lord and honoring him, but also being generous to others. Proverbs 19, verse 17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So we are to use some of our money to help and bless others who are in need. Now again, I can't tell you when you should do that, how you should do that, how much, to whom you should give money. You look around and you see people all around you that appear to be in need. And I'm sure I don't always get that right either. Often when I help someone financially, I end up feeling like I was just taken advantage of, and probably I was in many cases. And I think that's okay. I think it's better to be generous and sometimes be taken advantage of than to never be generous. 
Remember, it was Jesus who said that on Judgment Day, one of the ways we're going to be judged is by how we treated the least of these. That will be considered our treatment of the Lord Jesus himself. So these are the criteria to consider when asking about the Bible's teaching on the subject of wealth. I'll put these back up on the screen here just so you can see it all laid out. It matters, first of all, how you acquire money. Are you doing it through dishonest means or are you doing it through hard work and wise decision making? Secondly, it matters what you think about money. Is money becoming an idol in your life, taking God's place? Are you loving money or are you recognizing it as simply a tool? a tool to be used in God-glorifying ways. And that leads to number three, that it matters what you do with your money. These are the things that determine if you are using money as a tool in a way that glorifies the Lord or if money has become a stumbling block in your life. And by the way, don't think, well, I don't have much money, so this must not be a problem for me. The love of money can be a problem in your life whether you have a lot or whether you have almost nothing. It can become an all-consuming pursuit of your life, desperately trying to get more discontent with your situation. And all of that leads us into idolatry, ultimately. Well, as I said, this is only part one. Next week, we're going to get into more practical issues like saving, investing, budgeting, debt, all of that sort of stuff, looking specifically at how Proverbs teaches us very practically to manage our money. For today, I think we should try and get the right perspective first. How should we think about money? If it's a tool, what does it look like to use it well? And with that consideration, I want to close by just reading a famous parable of Jesus found in Luke chapter 12. And this really ties all of this together and will help us uh, end with a good perspective. Proverbs 12 verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus tells us, be on guard against the love of money, against the pursuit of more wealth, because there's more to life than money. And then in verse 16 and following, he gives a story to illustrate that point. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And many of us would say, he's being wise. He's earning his wealth through his hard work. His fields are producing plentifully. He's storing up that wealth for years to come. This all seems like a good thing. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Maybe a good question to consider with respect to your financial management is how will you feel about the way you managed money five seconds after you die? What will you wish you had done differently? May we not be those who simply use money for ourselves and thus fall into foolishness.